When you're at Walt Disney World Resort for the world's most magical celebration, every moment is amazing and the memories last a lifetime. Because when you celebrate with us, nothing could be more magical. Stay near the magic. Book your theme park tickets and get hotel rates from $94 per night plus tax at DisneySpringsHotels.com slash 50. Rates based on availability. Lockout dates may apply. See website for details. On another exciting entry of Animation Deliberation, we continue our coverage of Young Justice Phantoms, Young Justice Season 4, tackling Episode 21, Odyssey of Death. And we'll be getting right into that after some ads we have no say over whatsoever. You're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today. Or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdoor adventure. Mississippi. Wanderers welcome. Sing along if you know the words. One, two, three, it's time for animation, deliberation, a conversation and a celebration of our favorite action animated series. Yeah. Okay, folks, welcome back to Animation Deliberation, the podcast that takes action, animation, and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. I'm J. Scotty St. Clair, and I am joined by the stalwart Andrew Rogers. Good to have you here, buddy. How you doing? Ah, fantastic as always, even if a little bit misty-eyed as we've closed out another wonderful, wonderful arc here. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And if for anyone that's been listening to our Young Justice coverage so far, as particularly this Rocket arc or New Genesis arc, however you want to call it, uh, we are a member shy. We are missing Zuhair. Zuhair, we didn't know who it was going to be, but one of us had to be entrusted with a, a, a lantern, a ring. So... He is off to Oa, receiving his training from Kilowog as we speak. Yeah, I just have a funny feeling he'll be back next week because I don't think he can handle the amount of times Forager is going to say her own name while he's on Oa. (laughs) So he's probably going to say no to that duty from here on out. (laughs) Yeah, it might drive him a little little crazy. I could see that totally. (laughs) Okay, so as mentioned, we are going to be covering episode 21, Odyssey of Death. But before we get into the nitty gritty there, we did get a few pieces of feedback from the last couple of weeks here. So we're going to tackle those up top. And Andrew, you have those pulled up for us, correct? I do. And we have a couple of them and I'm going to kind of try and group them together because some people did say some similar things. So I'm going to start off first. We had an email come in from Eric uh, Cupes. He said, Mm -hmm. hello, Animation Pandas. I don't know if this was sent in the episode with Razor. You stated you were not familiar with the character and that you hoped that we would get an expansion at a later date. There is a full series discussing the character. Cartoon Network produced Green Lantern, the animated series from March 2012 to 2013, during which Razor was introduced and goes into a full explanation of who he is, what he was looking for. And although they haven't watched it, they did uh, mention that it is only one season, so it might even be worth a podcast. And I honestly don't totally disagree. If we get some downtime after Young Justice, it would be a great thing. And yeah, from Eric said, hope 
that this fills in the gap. And I figured this was good feedback to include in case you missed our feedback episode where we did talk about this a little bit outside of just Young Justice. We had some feedback in that episode where we did talk about Razor. Yeah, lots of fans of Razor out there. And I'm totally open to the possibility of doing an episode covering the animated series. I was actually ignorant to the fact that it only lasted the one season. It seemed like it was very celebrated in its short run. So I was just under the impression that it lasted for at least two or three seasons. But just uh, based on this feedback and a little bit of research there, yeah, it was the only the one season, 26 episodes. So I could definitely see us, you know, maybe doing that in a, a single episode, maybe a, a couple of episodes, depending on how the story's broken up there. But yeah, we were talking about content overload in terms of the beginning of the summer here. But as I recall, the way last summer worked, we might hit a lull towards like the end of June, early July. And maybe that'll be a nice time to kind of fit a series like that or some of the other ones we've often discussed, like looking back to the backlog (laughs) of some of our favorite shows. Yeah, we've got enough going on, but all the DC shows just are generally short lived, but very loved. So we have plenty Mm. of things to talk about when it comes to those. Certainly. And getting into our next uh, feedback, this was to answer a bit of a question that we had. And I'm going to read two of these emails because they basically both give us an answer. We had one Mm -hmm. come in from Fabian and one come in from our great TJ Stafford. And TJ said, fun fact, he's never read a comic. Everything he knows is from TV and movies, which is awesome because I asked Mm -hmm. him from his comic knowledge to give us an answer. But it turns out there isn't comic knowledge, which is just super fun. And yeah. Coming from all of that, he recognized the eye that we were asking the question about in the last episode as a tool used by the Fatal Five, recurring foes of the Legion of Superheroes. The Mm. character's name is the Emerald Empress, and the eye, which should be a little bit smaller, apparently, is uh, the Emerald Eye of Ekron. It apparently has Mm. powers similar to a Green Lantern ring and was a early prototype, according to some brief research. The only reason that they didn't immediately acknowledge this is it was only one episode of justice league unlimited and there was also mention of this character in justice league versus the fatal five interesting and fabian basically tacks on with it's exactly that the emerald eye of ekron and it is a main weapon of the emerald empress which again is a villain of the legion of superheroes and was created by the guardians of the universe which is a whole other kind of can of worms of how they're going to be involved as well because they're the ones i believe that have created all of the lantern rings so there's so many interweaving things between those two feedback emails especially because we didn't get these answers this week i expected them to come back yeah it was too significant a scene i wouldn't even call it like an easter egg it was just too pointed the fact that we watched lord zod take this thing it has to be coming back in some way and knowing that we're dealing with the legion of superheroes so much this season and in retrospect last season as well I have to imagine it's going to come back in a big way, but it is, it's awesome to get those answers so quickly. And the insight there, like TJ, you, you, I don't know if you're saying you never read a comic or if all this knowledge comes from elsewhere from other than comics. But if that's the case, you're putting me to shame because I've read a handful of comics, but I guess my recall <laughs> is just not there. I've been reading the wrong comics, but uh, yeah, it sounds really cool that it's kind of like a precursor to the lantern ring itself. And I, I can't help but make comparisons to kind of like, the Eye of Agamotto in the Marvel world with Doctor Strange, especially especially in the MCU carnation. It's so tied to the time stone and that green color scheme there. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to see it be utilized and uh, hopefully deliver some pretty impactful action and visuals. For sure. And uh, we had our one last email also coming in from Fabian 
says, just finished the podcast, great per usual. From my understanding, since the Zods were released and live during the time of the Legion of Superheroes, the Zods are aware of who Superboy is since Connor was the Legion's inspiration. I took, quote, playing the long game as them manipulating Superboy until they either killed him or used him against either Superman to erase the existence of the Legion. Thanks mm. again, and since you asked, Oh, his name was Fabian. Also, that was another thing I wanted to call out. I meant right. to read this email first. Yeah. Uh, we were saying Fabian. I apologize. Fabian is the name that we will use from here on out. And I'm glad we got some clarification because if we didn't get this email, I was more confused about the timeline after this episode as to how they related because there was still that moment of confusion with, oh, he didn't get sent to the Phantom Zone. It felt like they still didn't know who he was. Right, right. And I was going to say that email is like the perfect segue to just go ahead and start talking about the episode and some of the things that happened. But I'm willing, I'm fully willing to admit that I was wrong and you were right. I just assumed that the Phantom Zone existed outside of time. But I guess it makes sense that Lorzod would be traveling back in time to retrieve his parents before they even ever faced the Legion of Superheroes, given the fact that they're interacting with the quote unquote present day heroes that we know and love. Um, but and I'll also apologize. I think I took the lead on pronouncing Fabian's name as Fabian. So thank you for the clarification there, Fabian. And, and that was exactly why we asked. And also, you don't have to apologize, Jay Scotty, because I was the one proven wrong. I think Zuhair was the one that had the timeline right of all things oh, okay. out of out of the three of us with what was going on with the Zods. I believe it was Zuhair. I know it was not me. I was very on it that they wouldn't know who he was. So <laughs> this clarification mm. does clear up a little bit of that. And that's why it's so much fun to have multiple hosts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, that moment I was referring to that you kind of alluded to as well that took place in this episode um, of all the things that happened, a, a lot of action. I was really satisfied with the action. But yeah, there, there was that moment where Lorzad got his hands on the Phantom Zone projector and called out specifically to retrieve General Druzod. And as he was being pulled up kind of tractor beam style into the, the portal that opened on New Genesis, Superboy grabbed onto him and tried to pull him back. Which, side note, it's just kind of interesting. Of course, we saw Superboy kneel before Zod previously, but I was a little surprised at just how quickly he became indoctrinated and how loyal he was to, to Zod already. But anyway, yeah, as he's being pulled up, you know, we already saw it with Ursa, the projector kind of reject her because it wasn't her genetic code that was called out specifically. But then, yeah, Zod has that moment where Superboy's not being recognized at all. So he it kind of clicks and you see the light bulb go off in his head. You were not imprisoned during your time on Krypton, you come from somewhere else. So therefore he did not know exactly who Superboy was, even if he did recognize him as a Kryptonian or even as a, a part of the house of L potentially. Yeah. And I think this is going to be a continuing storyline outside of our arc structure that in this upcoming arc, we're going to explore the repercussions of them still being trapped in the Phantom Zone, what that looks like. Mm. Now you have Phantom Girl is awake, thanks oh, yeah. to Saturn Girl. So there's going to be so many more moving pieces going on in the background that mm -hmm. I, I don't know how they're going to take it, but there's going to be possible conflict in this space where the mind is the most powerful. Yeah, I'm hoping now that Phantom Girl seems to be conscious. We saw her eye open when Saturn Girl called out to her. Hopefully she can de-brainwash or free Superboy from his brainwashing, and that'll probably very much put him at odds with the remaining Kryptonians there that are very loyal to Zod, including Zod himself, because he actually did not make it through the portal. 
he got uh, destroyed. How was it destroyed again? I'm trying to remember the. I the bio ship shot the. Oh, that's right. That's right. Projector on the uh, orders of Chameleon Boy. Right, right. And there was that moment where Saturn Girl kind of had that moment of realization and it was, she didn't want it to happen, but it was too late by that point in time. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, I'm going to use this as a segue point. I thought that you were going to be correct seeing the willpower of them trying to escape the Phantom Zone, that while that projector hole was closing and the unfortunate loss of the Green Lantern, Tomar Ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun fact voiced by the amazing d bradley baker oh uh, nice when that ring was lost and was finding a new host i thought you were going to be 100 percent correct and general drew zod was going to pop out of the hole snag the ring and just be like all right let's go so yeah. there, it was a big subversion of expectations but the whole time i was I was not expecting that, but there were so many ways that it could have gone with that slow motion, everything happening at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. It was it was a really well done scene, but I wanted to give you credit that you planted that seed so perfectly. <laughs> I, I was like, I was cursing you out as usual. Like, he, he got it right, and I don't like yeah. it. <laughs> not that's, you that's being hilarious. right, just what happened. <laughs> that's funny. No, I subverted my own expectations, you know, even with uh, the mountain forager, the female forager's hand kind of breaking free and becoming more stable in the throes of the pain that the Kaiser thrall induces. I, it didn't click to me until I saw the ring flying right onto her finger and it was just so unexpected. I'm um, not disappointed though. It's, it's kind of comical in a way to see one of these like new Genesis bugs wielding the ring. And I hope we follow her storyline a little bit as heartbreaking as it is for the forager that we know, he's if, kind of feels like he's had two breakups this season. The first being Bioship, and now with <laughs> Forager. <laughs> it's um, I, I didn't want to care about these characters because it's Forager, and I <laughs> joked that I was misty eyed. And the moment that almost broke it from misty eyed to actual tears was the little breakup of, or not breakup of Forager and Forager, but the mm. maybe we should do long distance. Right, Let me right, hand over my Shakespeare book. That was the mm. point that I almost lost it, that there was this through line of Forager and Shakespeare that I was like, this can't be sweet and romantic. They're bugs. <laughs> yeah, we heard Forager quoting Shakespeare. I believe it was Romeo and Juliet a couple of episodes ago, if not the last episode. And then the end credit scene for this one was the mountain Forager quoting Hamlet back to, yes. to Forager. So. Um, one of the writers definitely, or or one of the voice actors definitely loves their Shakespeare and maybe appeared in like a production or two, I have to imagine. <laughs> There's been an interesting through line of the literature involved in all of these arcs and the titles of the episodes being very poetically grouped together for each arc. Mm. I really cannot wait to see what we get in this final arc and then just be able to look back at the season and put together all of these points about where the literature is coming from, how it applies to these characters, how the titles of the episodes, it feels like there's so many Easter egg notes that are outside of just the writers, but suddenly the people who are in charge of these things that we wouldn't think of, you know, being a post-credit scene or being animation, being titling, that they're putting little seeds in there for us. It feels like the team as a whole on this show did a really good job with all of these notes. 
Yeah, agreed. And, you know, speaking of the entire creative effort coming to make a, a satisfying whole, you know, I've felt a little mixed on this arc as a whole. It's definitely done a lot to do a lot of world building and give us insight into New Genesis a little bit more so and Kirby's fourth world as a whole. But I found this this conclusion to be very, very satisfying, especially with the action. Maybe it didn't reach the heights of the Atl- Atlantean arc for me, but just I remember at one point just you know, the two forager bugs going up against Mantis, Tomar Ray flying around fighting Lorzod while trying to contain this sudden Promethean that was arising from the earth, dispelling fire into the atmosphere. Uh, Jay Garrick's flash being zipping around and, and being, uh, you know, tied up by the Kaiser thrall and whatnot, but just really, really well executed, well paced. I didn't have a, a difficult time at all tracking the action and uh, it's kind of funny, we've, we've talked about Forager at length already, but one of the highlights for me is when Forager was able to take out Mantis and give that shout out to his training yes. with Nightwing. I knew you would appreciate that. No, I, I loved that because we kind of, or I at least, I can't necessarily speak for everyone in the audience. I forgot that Forager was an inept bug at the start of season three, mm. that he just didn't know what he was doing. And this whole arc, he has been somewhat intelligent. He has been ahead of the curve, fighting the battles that he needs to. And beginning of season three, Forager would not have done that. But because of his Mm. growth with the team, with the outsiders, it was really cool. I mean, cooler because he called out Nightwing. But even without (laughs) that specific call out, it was an awesome note that he has come really far and did not hesitate to protect the Mountain Forager. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I guess he's gotten a lot of confidence be- since becoming the valedictorian for his graduating class. But um, I did think it was interesting while we got so much physical action. And I, I do want to speak a little bit more to Tomar Ray and his sacrifice and just getting to see the ring power uh, used in such fantastic ways. Uh, I did want to talk a little bit about Rocket and Orion's face off against Maalfalek. I've been, you know, a little on the fence about the treatment of Rocket's character. It kind of felt like this was supposed to be her arc. We've had this introduction showing us these core six, is it six or seven members? Uh, Six. Six. Okay. I thought six. Wait, I think it's seven because McGann and Superboy had their arc together. So there's six arcs, seven characters. Okay. That makes sense. If I'm counting correctly. Oh, let's just go off real quick. We got Nightwing, Superboy, McGann, Aqualad. Tigress. Zatanna, Tigress. And Rocket. And, okay, that makes sense. Okay, cool. Watch us have repeated one and not realized. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the magic of editing is. Speaking of magic, we'll get back uh, to a certain magical character that we just mentioned in a little while. Ooh. <laughs> but yeah, uh, with Rocket, it was... I guess I would have liked the opportunity for her her action to have been like maybe take place in the physical realm. But I guess her entire struggle this whole time has been more of a intellectual and philosophical one with her relationship with her own son and these negotiations and her outlook on Orion. And in that case, you know, Malfleck was the the perfect foe for them. It was kind of like, you know, you had Mantis going up against the bugs and he finally got taken out. And then Lorzad was the perfect opponent for Tomar Ray with his previous dealings with Kryptonians. And then, yeah, that leaves Maalfalek, and he is the mental foe. We don't have Simon around. So he's really progressed, kind of followed in his sister's footsteps in terms of 
you know, using the mental plane as a place to kind of like potentially torment people. We know McGann had her time, you know, around season two where she was kind of in a dark place, but uh, it, it was just really fitting to have Rocket have that moment of clarity where she realized she was being manipulated. She knew that wasn't right. We had dealt with Light Ray before, but he was just, you know, saying he is the spawn of Darkseed. You have to contain him and keep him locked up. And I didn't realize at that point in time if Orion and Rocket were seeing the same thing or not, if that was actually Rocket like trying to beat his way out of the projection bubble there. Or at the end of the episode, I still didn't have 100% of the answers. I kind of wondered, did he get to see into Rocket's mind a little bit and see some of her insights and know what she was dealing with because he had that acknowledgement like, thank you for seeing me. And it seemed like there was, it was a little bit more pointed and it was, there was more meaning behind that. Like he knew some of her struggles. Yeah. I would take it just on the context of what usually happened in McGann's visions, mm. wherein everyone was kind of put into a similar mental simulation, call it. That's that true. Yeah, yeah. Basically, Ma'alafalak had tricked Orion into going back into this place, as well as tricking mm. Rocket into pretend you're back in that place and you have to relive this entirely and then mm. i assumed maalafalak himself was the ray basically oh, whispering okay. in her ear that was kind of my assumption i was actually waiting for her to kind of put a blast on the ray and have it turn out to be maalafalak it, it turned out oh, a little okay. bit different but sure. that was how i read the situation yeah. and it just I, I totally agree with what you're saying, that there was so much meaning going into their interaction at the end, and it just was a really nice way to round out the entirety of the character, what it was mm -hmm. looking like, and we had some speculation earlier in the arc as to whether or not Orion was also autistic, similar to her son, right. and I really liked that they did not feel the need to answer that question, Right. that, that it was instead... He is just a person going through what he is. He had a weird upbringing. He is Darkseid's son. Everyone goes through different things in their life that makes them the way that they are. And I think that is an even bigger step that Rocket had to see not the same exact mirrored problems as she was going through. She just had to see that everyone has a different way of dealing with things. You have to see them, you have to trust them, and you have to attempt to feel what they're feeling. And that's exactly what she did in the mental simulation, and then it obviously came full circle at the end with her seeing Amistad. It was a nicer way of doing it than having to be this grand battle scene to get her to mm -hmm. her answer. It was it was much sure. more poetic in nature. And I think the only thing that I, I do agree with you, I wish we had more of her during her own arc figuring right. all of this out. I wish it wasn't, all right, pitch the problem in the first episode of the arc, solve the problem in the last episode. I wish we had a little bit more than the sprinkling of the occasional notes that they were getting along better through the couple extra episodes yeah I, I agree with pretty much everything you said and i think that you're right on the money in terms of how it played out yeah thinking about the battles in the mental pl mental plane that we'd seen previously and some of the like real world ramification those had i, I think you're right on the money with all that mention of you know into intellectualization and uh poetic justice no pun intended there it was great and very satisfying to once they kind of broke free of the mental plane and Orion was still kind of in his kind of rage fit. It's just kind of fitting that he's the dog of war. And I felt like Rocket had the leash and kind of like pointed him directly towards Lorzod. And then he just got to have that nice, satisfying beat down on Lorzod. And we saw how fatal Lorzod's 
heat vision, laser vision can be previously oh, with Tomar yeah. Ray, but just to see Orion take one like right to the chest and like not really phase him and just go to town was pretty epic. Yeah, and it, it was an interesting moment that they didn't have to communicate what their next move was going to be. He mm. went red in the eyes, jumped at Lorzad, and I think he even shouted now, and Rocket put the bubble around them. Like, they didn't right. have to communicate what the now was. They didn't have to, mm. you know, strategize. They just figured each other out and said, hey, wait, this kind of worked before. Do it again. <laughs> and it's one of those awesome people who are great at their skill, whether it be martial arts, magic, or technology, I guess is what Rocket is using. That's one Lisa. thing. I, w- I wish we got more of what her power set was. They didn't ever explain anything outside of she had the belt. And that was really it. Yeah. But but yeah, it it shows that she's really good at using what she has, despite us not knowing quite what that is. Yeah, I wish I had the wiki pulled up so I could see exactly what her technology is called. I think like maybe back in like season one or two, we got like a very quick shout out to where her power comes from it, but it wasn't explained in full. We were just given kind of maybe a name like the something orbs or what have you. I can't really remember. Yeah, it was it was great to see that teamwork come together in such a satisfying way. But uh, I would like to circle back to Tomar Ray. It's been a while since we've, I mean, uh, besides Superboy, his apparent death there, it's been a while since we've had a death. And I have to say, having spent such a little amount of time with Tomar Ray, they really made it work and it felt significant. And I was moved and, you know, just the few lines of dialogue he had about failing Krypton previously and him using his ring, using his willpower to try and create like this vent that was exhausting the Prometheans just fiery breath off into the atmosphere, finding a way to exhaust it. So it wasn't burning up the atmosphere and him realizing, or the ring telling him that we can't keep the shield integrity that's protecting you from this, these lasers at your back and successfully exhaust this, these catastrophic flames and he he knows what he has to do and he's just like not again i will not fail another planet and just to see those beams rip through his chest and it was kind of beautiful that he got the acknowledgement before his eyes kind of closed and he fell down to earth or not earth but to the the ground he got to know that he was successful in his mission yeah i I was really curious, and I'm happy to hear you say that you felt endeared to this character as well, because just from my time in comics and some of the cartoons, like I have some exposure to the characters of Kilowog, uh, mm. Tomare, and some of the others, so I just felt endeared to see it'd be the same as a famous Transformer you know, mm. dying in a movie. I knew right. the Transformers growing up. I didn't care about them in that movie, but I still felt beat up. That's kind of how this felt to me at first was very, I know these characters, how can young justice do this to us? Like, <laughs> and, and it's, it's great that they can, that they have the freedom to, you know, build this world where they have their own characters that live and die because it always is surprising you. I did not see that coming. I was waiting mm. for someone to save him for Kilowog to jump through a portal and save his good buddy Poozer. You know, I, I was waiting, for, <laughs> I was waiting for something like that and it just didn't happen. Yeah. And it, it it was heartfelt, poetic, and like you said, wonderful to know that he got to save the planet and know that he finally got that knowledge before the ring passed right off his finger. Right, right. 
And with the mention of Kilowog, just that still that they did where Kilowog was holding his, his body and just looking in just such agony. It's like with a monstrous face like that, it's difficult to convey a lot of emotion, but they totally sold on the utter heartbreak he was experiencing. Yeah, and once again, they're nodding toward possible events. That is the number one thing that I want to see happen in the remaining time we have this season is Kilowog getting a moment to go toe-to-toe with Lorzad after saying we don't take kindly to one of our own dying. I -hmm. want that moment of him just getting to go ham whenever they find out where Lorzad went and, you know, make up for his lost, uh, lost ally. Yeah, for sure. I definitely look forward to that as well. And it makes me kind of wonder about what the... I had speculated previously about, you know, the potential for Lorzod being rehabilitated and perhaps recruited into <laughs> our company of heroes. But after killing a Green Lantern, I don't know what the likelihood of that is. Um, but you mentioned wherever he is. So we know that the time sphere is busted because of Mantis. As much as, you know, Mantis kind of proved himself and even Lorzod acknowledged <laughs> he had underestimated him. He did not do it correctly and therefore fried the time sphere. So it's it kind of makes me think of something. I don't think we mentioned it on our previous coverage at all when we kind of talked about the bookend episodes where uh, Bart Allen got kind of caught up to speed, no pun intended there. But the whole reason they recruited him is to put a cosmic treadmill into Bioship. Right. So now Bioship is capable of time travel as well. Is Was it time travel or dimension travel? Ooh, good question. I just Be- assumed time travel. Because they, I think the title card when we saw Bioship going through some thing, I think mm-hmm. it's at subspace or something along those lines. So I don't know if that was like a hyperdrive or, or okay. some sort of, you know, similar to how boom tubes are like the only way to get to New Genesis. Is this right. a way that they could create their own subspace travel? I'm not totally sure because I feel like... interesting. If they had the ability to time travel, why not just go to a point in time when you know that you can hopefully fix this? Why instead go straight to uh, New Genesis and Supertown mm-hmm. where you're hoping or you have some idea that's where people are going to be to get the Phantom Zone projector? That's the, that's the only caveat I have thinking that it's probably not tra- time travel. Okay. That's that's t- a totally fair point, but it just kind of makes me wonder. I, I thought that's how Bart Allen got to this timeline in the first place. We know that he's from the future. I thought he made use of a cosmic treadmill and he already had the knowledge of how to build one because of his time traveling esca- escapades. But you could be totally right. Yeah, it definitely seems like New Genesis and Apocalypse. I, I think we know for a fact they're on another dimensional plane apart from Earth yeah. anyway. I I always just assume that Bart Allen did the usual time travel thing of running faster than the speed of light and going through the speed force and watch the flash if you're confused because it's only going to get more <laughs> confusing if I try and explain it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's worth a watch anyway, at least those first two or three seasons. I kind of fell off oh, yeah. around season four or so, but um, I actually think it's totally off subject here. But while we're talking about it, I think I heard rumblings recently that the CW might be for sale and we... I think we just recently got the news that Legends of Tomorrow was canceled after like seven season, seven seasons, as well as uh, Batwoman after four, I want to say. Yeah, um, I believe both of those were canceled. And I'm hoping that HBO Max just picks up the pieces like they're known mm-hmm. to do for any of the shows. I, yeah. I'm not up to pace with Legends of Tomorrow, but 
as weird as the CW shows are, they're all good in their own right. So mm-hmm. DC knows what I have full confidence at DC as of late with yeah. Young Justice, the Batman, uh, mm-hmm. the Suicide Squad 2021, yep. 2022, whenever that like all of the things that have come out since they did decide to cut ties after the Justice League incidents has just been good, mm-hmm. including the show. So I think they're going to continue to do good things. So I trust the direction that they're going. Yeah, as do I. And my last little aside while we're on this little tangent here is with the mention of James Gunn, the Suicide Squad, and we got Peacemaker and there were rumblings out there that we'd be getting another show that was going to be a spinoff of one of those characters. I do believe it was confirmed that Viola Davis will be returning for an Amanda Waller series helmed by James Gunn. So. Definitely something to be excited for. (laughs) I mean, excitement, but that sounds crazy. And, you know, we could tag on all of the Batman spinoff shows that they're, you know, tinkering with as well. Mm -hmm. I I think they're just doing the Disney Plus thing at a better rate that, like, they don't need to tie into movies. So let's just make them when we want them. Yeah. These kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, I know we're a little short on time as uh, sad. That is to say, with this particular episode, it would be really nice to wax and wane about all the ins and outs of the finale to this arc. Uh, but let's, yeah, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I didn't even intend for that. Good call. Uh, but that's the the perfect kind of segue here. I alluded to the magical character that we interacted with, and that was Zatanna. She kind of opened the episode and ended the episode with her pursuit to find Superboy's soul. Um, initially, she was working with a uh, I can't remember the character's name, but she's very of like a Bayou, Louisiana kind of sorceress. Do you have the name? Yep, uh, Madame Zandu. She was, was the Madame fortune. Zandu? I thought she. I believe she that must was have called her Zandu? by her first name. Okay. Yes, she did call okay. her a different name. That was the same okay. fortune teller we saw in the Zatanna arc. Okay. Okay. I thought that might be the case, but I didn't want to assume when I saw that different or heard and saw that different name come up because I was watching with subtitles. But um, immediately when I saw that River of Souls, I thought of Lord of the Rings, Two Towers, Gollum leading Frodo and Sam. Star Wars from the Wilds. I, I think it's an interesting thing to say how many like versions of River of Souls there are. Right. Because I, I had two things that it reminded me of that I wrote down that are not Lord of the Rings. Okay, what you got? I specifically went, well, like, is this the river sticks? And instead of existing before you get to hell, it just exists in Louisiana. And then I was also thinking with the parallels, uh, spoilers ish, if you haven't caught all the way up with Moon Knight yet. Okay. um, It reminded me of the Duat, which is just the desert of souls instead of the river of souls that they're taking a boat across, like all of Mm. these different iterations in literature and mythos. Mm-hmm. I love that we could point at different ones and it was just kind of a cool moment that looked really, really awesome. Yeah. I like both of those comparisons, but I particularly like the river sticks because it makes me think of the, I want to say 97 or 90, uh, maybe 98, the Disney Hercules. Yep. That was one of the best <laughs> depictions of that. Yeah. The river sticks. Yeah. No, that that's, uh, I think most people's familiarity with it. Maybe mm-hmm. also Percy Jackson, if you happen to read those books or anything. Okay. Or- see the awful movie uh (laughs) i saw the first film i don't really remember it very well but it obviously wasn't good enough for me to seek out the other films but i I like logan lerman as an actor he was 
uh, one of my first choices for Spider-Man Once Upon a Time. Cast of that movie that. was great. Writing was all over the place, but okay, okay, we digress. Anyway, bringing it back to Young Justice and Zatanna, uh, obviously she could not find the soul there with that help, so she assembles this enclave of magical characters and finally enlists the help of Nebu by, I guess, her persistence just telling him <laughs> that she's not going to give up and she will annoy him. <laughs> Until if anyone was going to do it, it was going to be Zatanna under the helm. <laughs> so it makes sense. I also have the name of or names of all of our magicians that were around that bell. Oh, great. Yeah, let's hear it. So we obviously had Zatanna, Zatara, and mm-hmm. then our other helm wares, 13 and uh, Khalid. Mm-hmm. I believe I had that one right. Forgive me if not. Uh, Madam Zandu was also there along with Jason B- Blood. Blue mm. Devil, who appeared in the tower with the Garfield arc with the Outsiders, but we never actually heard that character talk. He was the okay. blue guy with the horns. I, then there was, I recognize him, yeah. Yeah. There was also the Phantom Stranger, mm. King Mira, Garth, and the Egyptian woman that we saw appear out of that scarab. I believe her name is Isis or something along those lines. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, so that was all of the ones that I recognized and could see around the bell. There's no mention of it on the wiki yet, so if I missed one, forgive me, but that was just me jotting down everyone that I saw as quick as I could. No, well done. I appreciate your efforts there. That's um, interesting that Isis has come up like twice in this season when we've really only had the one interaction with her so far. I think she was one of the ones that was mentioned as a potential candidate for the Justice League reserves, and now she's making an appearance here, so... I wonder if if they've got plans for her. It would be cool if they did. They have plans for everything. Yeah. And I almost (laughs) corrected you when you mentioned Mara, when you called her king. I was going to say queen, but you were right. She is the high king. So I I specifically wrote king after that entire time (laughs) that they spent minutes calling her king. I was like, this is the title they use. That's what I'm going to go with. I like it. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, and then we just got the moment in this episode where my hands went up in the air and I was so excited and it was the last line of the episode. Yes. Yeah, well, go ahead. Give it to us. It, it was just, you know, maybe he's not dead. And if he's alive, we don't need magic. We need a detective. And dun, who's going to be dun. our detective? The <laughs> one and only world's second greatest detective, Dick Grayson. <laughs> uh, yeah. The man with the finest buttocks in all of comics. <laughs> <laughs> I love that I have educated so many people after DC Comics put that on their Instagram. Uh, yeah. No, I'm excited for the Dick Grayson arc. I have been this entire time. I know sure. Zuhair is with me. It's yeah. It, it was the perfect tease that like I didn't know where we were going to go with his arc. And to mm. know that he's going to be the one that ties this all together. He's going to find out where Superboy is. He's going to be rallying the team back together to figure this whole thing out. It's, it's going to be awesome. And I, I don't know how it's going to go, but it's just going to be excitement. And yeah, I'm giddy. As you could probably tell, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't really know where it's going to go either, but it's definitely pointing to Nightwing, which is super exciting. I guess if I had to wager a guess based on what we've been presented with so far, I could see an avenue where they kind of tie it back to the Tigress story as well with her dealings with the League of Shadow. And we kind of, you know, made mention of a red hooded ninja character. Maybe this is the opportunity to 
bring they, him into the fold given his relationship with Dick Grayson as yeah, well as they, the rest uh, of the Bat family? They might need a Lazarus pit. That uh Ooh, that might yeah. just be the way that we get there. I yeah. Very well could be. And then maybe this is completely uncalled for or out of left field, but I can't help but, you know, think about the fact that Zatanna thinks of Dick Grayson and they kind of had their, you know, little fling in the early seasons and maybe they're just friends now. And I, I think the last time we saw Nightwing in any kind of romantic capacity, he was kissing Oracle and it seemed like they had a relationship going there. But, you know, I, I kind of have to wonder if this is an opportunity. It seems like um, most of these arcs have at least danced around romantic relationships. And I think, you know, it's a, a through line of the show dealing with, you know, characters of this age and whatnot. I wonder if there's the potential for maybe a rekindling of their attraction to one another. If not, it doesn't need to happen, but uh, I guess I couldn't, I wouldn't mind if it went that route. Yeah. You never know. Dick Grayson has many canonical, beautiful girlfriends in the comics, whether it be Oracle, Zatanna, we don't have a Starfire here, but Starfire is also oh, one yeah. of his possible suitors. <laughs> the the sure. list just goes on. The more comics you read, I could also list off really random ones, but we won't yeah. go into that. It's it, it could definitely go that direction, and I agree. Their relationship has always been so playful and fun in this show specifically. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see, is it even possibly jealousy out of Oracle in the ear? Like, what are you doing? Why, why are you talking Ooh. like that? Okay. Could, could be one of those situations. You never know. That's that's I like that. I like kind of like where that's going. That could be some nice drama for the show. But I also can't help but acknowledge it would not be entirely uncalled for for Young Justice to you just be like, oh yeah, they broke up off screen. We'll fill you in later. The <laughs> lover spat that you'll find out about s- some other time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, did you have anything else you want to bring up about this episode as we prepare to wrap up here? No, um, I'm excited for what's to come, and it was a wonderful finish to this arc, I must say. The arc structure has given us some really satisfying gripping points to end every four episodes and reflect back on. 100% agreed, and I guess with all these episode titles, I think we were you know, pretty satisfied with our conclusion that it's spelling out Neil before Zod. Uh, but yeah, this episode title just continues to prove that theory. And yeah, I'm walking away pretty satisfied with the way that this arc went. And I'm optimistic at the end of this season here, we will see all of these different arcs kind of come to a head and everyone will get their opportunity to showcase some really great action and drama as a fully functioning team and unit. For sure, because I think we have five, not four left. So we get that one extra Mm. tie this all together episode. Yeah, and just as I was kind of, you know, making the mention of them coming together as a team, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that we did see the new gods kind of come together in their Voltron form. It didn't get to go into action in any way, shape, or form. It kind of arrived just a little late, but still pretty cool to see. Oh, yeah. Okay, um, as we get out of here, I will open up the floor to you to let the people know about anything you've got going on or anything you'd like to plug. Well, I will do a brief little plug of go take a look at our Instagram because we have a interesting call to feedback out uh, currently right now for something interesting going on uh, this week upcoming. Jay Scotty, do you want to tell everyone about what that is? 
Certainly. So we have conducted one interview with an industry professional already. That was episode 75 with Michael D'Ambrosio. I encourage you to go check that out. But we have a very exciting opportunity ahead of us this Tuesday, May 10th, is when we're recording our second interview with an industry professional, and that is film editor and special effects artist Nina Helene Hurton. Uh, She's worked on shows like Duncanville, Curious George, and she's definitely dabbled in the blockbuster world with some of our favorite movies, Ant-Man and the Wasp on the Marvel side of things, Venom from Sony, as well as Godzilla versus King Kong. So it's going to be really exciting to talk to her and get a peek behind the curtain of what goes into really selling us on the visual effects that create this blockbuster and bombastic spectacle. So uh, check out the Instagram post that Andrew mentioned to submit questions there. You can also email us at animationdeliberationpodcast at gmail.com. And if you are a part of the Stranded Panda chat, the Stranded Panda is the network that we're a part of. There's a Facebook page for that. It's facebook.com slash chat. I reposted the Instagram post there with a call to leave questions in the comments there. And we've already got some really great ones. So I appreciate everybody for that and look forward to seeing uh, what kind of questions you all have. It's going to be a fun time. I can't wait. Yeah, indeed. Okay. uh, Other than that, yeah, I will just encourage everybody, you know, if you are excited for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, or if you're just coming off the heels of Moon Knight, check out the Stranded Panda Network. There is a wealth of shows that are providing all sorts of coverage. We've got our flagship show, The Marvel Cinematic Universe, that will be offering their thoughts on the Moon Knight finale, as well as, of course, their review of Multiverse of Madness. Um, And also our our sibling show, Source Pages, they just did some interesting coverage on some Doctor Strange comics leading right up to Multiverse of Madness. So good time to be a nerd, a fan of comic content, as well as always animated content here. So keep tuning in. That's T-O-O-N-I-N. And as we go across the multiverse, if there's some animation out there, we might just have to talk about it. But we'll Mm. find out after we see that movie. Muscle, muscle. Indeed. Thank you for listening to the Animation Deliberation Podcast, a proud member of the Stranded Panda Network. If you would like to contact us, you can email animationdeliberationpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at animationdelib1. For this and other great shows, you can visit strandedpanda.com or join the great community that is the Stranded Panda Chat Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash svchat. Tune in next time, and remember, stay whelmed. When you're at Walt Disney World Resort for the world's most magical celebration, every moment is amazing and the memories last a lifetime. Because when you celebrate with us, nothing could be more magical. Stay near the magic. Book your theme park tickets and get hotel rates from $94 per night plus tax at DisneySpringsHotels.com slash 50. Rates based on availability. Blockout dates may apply. See website for details. There's a highway that stretches across the 93 days of summer where worship isn't offered to the sun, but to the smoking tire, the S-curve, and the spin turn. And if you ride it, make sure you do it in a Dodge Charger, Challenger, or Durango. Because on this highway, the lines being blurred are the ones between drivers and demons. Welcome to Highway 93. Dodge is a registered trademark.